It's good to be together this morning. Uh, well, this next Sunday, um, I'm not going to be here. My family and I, we are going to be headed up to Santa Barbara next weekend, and I'll be preaching at Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, which is the church that sent us out and has supported us. And um, I'm really excited to connect there with our extended church family and to give a report of all that God's doing here in Palos Verdes. And I'll tell you, they're, they're thrilled about what's already been happening. And so really excited to connect with our church family up there. Um, you guys have uh, a church if you're ever in Santa Barbara, which is a great place to vacation. PV is nice, but so is Santa Barbara. And, uh, and so a great church to stop in if you ever get the opportunity. Next Sunday, Pastor Ben Kai will be in the pulpit, so you're going to be blessed. Well, today let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 8. And today we get to hear about a beautiful invitation from Jesus. And today's message is called The Call and the Cost of Discipleship. And so we're looking at Mark chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 34, and we'll continue on until uh, chapter 9, verse 1. So I'm going to read the entire text today, and then we'll pray and get right into what the Lord wants to share with us today. So you guys all there? If you got it, say got it. Got it. Okay, let's go. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world? And forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Good words. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that these are your words spoken from your mouth. And they were spoken nearly 2,000 years ago, Lord, but they're still being spoken to this day. And God, I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking. We would have hearts to receive all that you want us to know. And God, that we would have lives that would um, be surrendered today to follow you, Jesus, in what you have for us. Thank you for these words that you've spoken. I pray we would all receive them and live them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, these are powerful words of Jesus, aren't they? These were first spoken, as I said, to the crowd that was gathered and to the disciples nearly 2,000 years ago. But as I prayed, they're being spoken to us here today, and we need to hear them. These are the words of Jesus, and any time you hear the words of Jesus, they're to be received with great seriousness and also with great joy. And we're going to receive what God wants to tell us today, because last week we looked at the question of a lifetime. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And my prayer has been that every single one of you would have answered that question. So that question's been asked. Now we're seeing the invitation of a lifetime, which is that Jesus is inviting us to be one of his followers 
and he tells us what that invitation will cost. See, if you want to receive Jesus, you can receive his call. He's calling. And it's a free and it's an open invitation, but it will come at a cost. And I'm not talking about money, even though this last week I was talking to this young man who sent me a message online and he asked me, how much money would it cost for him to be converted to Christianity? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? I'm not sure I'm picking up what you're saying. And he literally thought that he had to pay a price with money to become a Christian. And I was able to obviously explain, by the way, that's, that's not how you become a Christian. Um, I was able to explain the simple gospel to him in, in which he gladly received and talked about how salvation is a free gift offered through Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross and how he was raised from the dead. And, and his brother was there and he's like, the cross, you mean that T-shaped thing? And, and, and literally the, these two brothers, they, they hadn't ever heard the gospel message before. And I was telling my friend about this in interaction, and I was telling him, he asked me literally, he's like, how much is it going to cost? And my, my friend Robin responded, it'll cost him everything. See, salvation will not cost you any money. No works can get you to become a Christian. It is a free gift offered through Jesus Christ, and yet there is still a cost associated with being a follower of Jesus, it will cost you everything. And that's what we're going to see today as we look at what it means to be this follower of Christ. And so let, re let me remind you before we get into the text of where we've been in Mark's gospel. Jesus is now in the region of Caesarea Philippi. That was the, when he asked that question, who do you say that I am? They were in route to this place. Caesarea Philippi, it was a melting pot of cultures and religion and politics. It was a place where people just kind of picked and, and chose whatever it is that they wanted to believe, making up for themselves what they thought would be right for them. And so this whole motivation of asking this question of who do you say that I am, this really important question that, again, I, I said we all have to answer. Um. Jesus asked this question to his disciples. And we saw last week that Peter answered. And he said, Jesus, you are the Christ. And, and, and Jesus responded back to Peter, you got it. Hit the nail on the head. And, and flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven revealed this to you. And Peter just nailed the question of a lifetime. And, and it's like, ooh, this is exciting. Like they've seen Jesus and all the things that he's been doing and, and they finally got it. But then Jesus immediately goes into what is going to soon take place. He foretells of his death and resurrection by saying that he must suffer many things and that he would be rejected by the religious leaders of that day and that he would ultimately be killed on a cross. But three days later, Jesus would rise again. And Peter, just having nailed the question of a lifetime, pulls Jesus to the side. He's like, hold on a second here. What's this whole talk about dying? And he begins to rebuke Jesus. And that's when we saw that whole interaction where Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter was not thinking God's thoughts. He was thinking the thoughts of a man. Because God's thinking is, is often not according to our thinking. To us, 
right? The cross seems like foolishness, but to God it's the power. It's where salvation comes from. And so for these disciples, they're like, come on, Jesus, you're supposed to be our Messiah, our conquering king. Like, let's go kick some Roman butt together. And Jesus is talking about dying. And isn't it interesting that as soon as we talk about death, we all get a little bit weird. (laughs) Because really, death is our worst enemy. As soon as death comes up in conversation, we get uncomfortable. And Jesus is saying here that he's soon going to die and that it's going to be at the hands of his own people. And this is going against the grain of everything that the disciples thought of what Jesus would be to them. Jesus dying? Like what business does the Son of God have with being on a cross? The disciples have been with Jesus now for two years. They're feeling like things are going so great. They're finally starting to pick up what Jesus is putting down. He's healing people. They're like, that's amazing. Let's do that. Jesus is feeding uh, multitudes of people by multiplying bread and fish. Like, that's amazing. Let's do more of that kind of stuff. Jesus has been delivering people from demonic spirits. Fantastic. But Jesus is going to suffer and be rejected, and die? Kind of like, wait, what? And so in verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. Now what we're going to see is that Jesus wasn't just talking about how he was going to die, but how they were going to have to die. And before we get into those words, we want to see who it is that is saying these words, that we want to know where this call is coming from. Because let's look at how Jesus calls and gathers people to himself. When it says he called them, the idea of that is that he bid them to come to himself. He drew them into himself like a shepherd would draw in the sheep to come in when they hear his voice. Or like a prophet, when when a prophet speaks, everyone is eager to hear what that prophet might have to say and so when Jesus called people came to him and they wanted to listen to what he had to say because when Jesus called and drew people to himself he was drawing them into his character into his compassion and into his love and even though what we're going to see in just a moment I think it was a very serious atmosphere the whole tone of the situation is gnarly because they're talking about suffering and death and resurrection I don't think they so much as heard the resurrection part, though. I think they're thinking about suffering and death and then how they're going to have to take up their own cross. And so there's a seriousness of this moment, but notice that Jesus called people to himself and they came. When Jesus calls you, do you come to him? See, think about who it is that is calling you Think about the kind of person Jesus is when he calls you. Because, listen, if, if, a, if an abusive or an angry person calls to you, hey, come here, do you want to come? Not really. You might come in, in fear or in anxiety. But if a compassionate and a kind person calls you, would you come? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. We, we need to understand that Jesus called this crowd to himself with his disciples. And even though the whole tone of the moment might feel somber and serious, the people came because they trusted that Jesus would love them and that they weren't afraid to be in his presence to hear what he had to say because of the character that Jesus has displayed. And so hopefully you are not afraid of Jesus when he calls to you. Hopefully your sense of Jesus calling you is not so that he can stand with arms folded at you and scolding you for the things that you have done. But rather you would realize that a sympathetic high priest is calling you because he loves you and he's drawing you to himself. When you are called to Jesus, you are called to his presence. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And so to become a Christ follower means that you are coming into relationship with the most gentle and humble and loving king. And we have to understand this, you guys. I feel that this is such a big reason, maybe because of the way that the church has portrayed Jesus to be or the way that we've come up with him in our minds because of our shame of sin. We have this wrong sense sometimes of who it is that's calling us. But Jesus calls these people, this gracious and forgiving Lord. And, and so when we come to these words that we're about to come to, they're very serious. They have a, a somber tone to them. Um, they have a great cost. And however, if you realize that it's the kindness of God that's drawing you in to hear these words, that you are hearing these words out of the mouth of the most gracious and loving and humble king, you will be more apt to receive these words. We want to be more apt to receive serious instructions from Jesus because Jesus will come at us and he doesn't hold back rebuke. He doesn't hold back reproof and correction and judgment. Jesus is holy and righteous. And we need to fear the Lord. There is a definite balance there don't get me wrong however he draws us in to say these words and we need to know who he really is bring the real you to the real jesus and so let's read verse 34 again with that in mind and calling the crowd to him with his disciples he said to them if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me and so this is the clearest invitation that Jesus gave about what it means to be one of his followers. Notice first that he says, if anyone would come. Other translations uh, say, whosoever desires to come. The invitation for Jesus is for anyone and everyone. Okay, let's get that right. The invitation to follow Jesus is for anyone and everyone. It was for the 12 and it was for the multitude. It was for the Jews and it was for the Gentiles. It was for the 3,000 that were saved at Pentecost and it's for the billions that have been saved throughout centuries. It is for you and it is for me. And it's for today, right now, in Palos Verdes at 1034, March 7th, 2021 this invitation to follow jesus is for right now so everyone is invited come to the party <laughs> 
Everyone is invited to follow Jesus. Every single living, breathing person in this city, in this state, in this nation, in this world, no one is excluded from the call of God. Anyone can come to Jesus. Whosoever desires. But look, there must be desire. If anyone would come, and we know that not everybody does come. Jesus does not force himself upon people. At one point in Jesus' ministry, he said some pretty hard things to the crowds. It was right after he had multiplied bread and fish, and he was telling the group how his body was food for them to eat and that his blood was uh, true drink. And we're going to take communion today uh, understanding the reality of that. But after saying these words, it says that there were some that were following him who said, these things are too hard to understand. And it said that they no longer followed Jesus after that point. And Jesus even turned to his own 12 disciples and he said, do you want to go too? Do you want to go too? Because no person is forced into following Jesus. There has to be the element of a person's own desire. You have you have a choice to make. Will you desire your own path and the passing pleasures of that path? Or are you going to follow Jesus? And if you follow Jesus, if you desire to go after him, it says that we have to go where he goes, that we would model our life after his life. And so we've heard this call, this incredible open invitation to come after Jesus but Jesus wants you to know the seriousness of the call of what it will cost a person. That you will have to deny self and take up your own cross to follow Jesus. And that hit the crowd that was listening there. And I hope that hits this crowd here this morning. That the cost of following Jesus is that we would deny self and take up a cross. See, those two things are somewhat synonymous, but we're going to look at each one in their own way. You guys good? Okay, let's look at denying self. You and I know full well that we love ourselves, right? No one needs to be taught to love their own lives. Those little babies crawling up there on the carpet already know that they love themselves and are going to want what they're going to want. No one needs to be taught that. You know, the whole reason why Jesus, I think, said, love your neighbor as yourself is because we're all pretty good at doing the first, <laughs> or that we're all pretty good at loving ourselves. And if we loved our neighbor as much as we loved ourselves, we'd be doing a pretty good job. And so what Jesus is not saying here is he's not saying to abandon basic human needs. He's not saying to um, come to church without a nice warm coat and sh shiver in the cold to deny yourself. <laughs> Hopefully you dress warm today. <laughs> he's not saying anything about eating good meals or sleeping in comfortable beds. What he's saying about is that we would, that we would not so much as focus on me, myself, and I, but that we would think about God and that we would think about others. See, we can enjoy the basic comforts of life um, with a thankful heart, those are the things that God's not telling us to deny. What he is telling us to deny is self-interest, self-absorption, self-centeredness, and egotism. 
self is to be rejected because you've got this new pursuit and new desire, which is for God. And he's saying to humble yourself, to love God and love others. I like the acronym for joy. You've ever heard it? Jesus, others, you, in that order. Putting yourself last, taking the lowest place. Literally to deny self means to disassociate from yourself. You guys remember when Jesus, uh, uh, Peter was before Jesus and he denied him three times before the death of Christ. That word denied, when it says Peter denied Jesus, is the same word that is used here. And what did Peter do when he was denying Jesus? He was around that warm fire with that little girl and she began to say, hey, aren't you one of the disciples of Jesus? And he began to do what? He began to disassociate himself from Jesus. I never knew the man. What are you talking? I don't know the guy. Disassociating himself from Jesus. That's how Peter denied Jesus. And that same kind of denial is how we should think of ourselves. I don't even know the person. As Paul would say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. And then we're called to take up a cross. Now, this statement was a shocker for the people who first heard it. Because being 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words, we've come to a place of familiarity with the cross. And we know that the cross is where Jesus accomplished our redemption. We know that the cross is profoundly beautiful because of what Jesus did there. But you have to understand that the people that were first hearing this message and this call understood that the cross was nothing but a form of capital punishment. It wasn't yet the place of their redemption. And so the cross for them, even though for us it's a Christian symbol, and we've even romanticized the cross to a certain extent, but, but for them it meant nothing other than death. And by death I mean cruel and nasty and gruesome death. The cross, if I have to remind you, it was an instrument of capital punishment. The Romans perfected this form of death sentencing, making it the most shameful and torturous death penalty known in the ancient world. We get our English word excruciating from the place of the cross. And so the Romans wouldn't even crucify their own citizens because of how shameful and horrific it was. Crucifixion was for the enemies of Rome. And if you were to be traveling into Rome, you would see on the roads that led in along the sides of the hills, crosses that lined as you made your way to Rome. And you know what they kind of served like? They served as shocking billboards that basically you saw a cross and you said, that's what happens to you if you mess with Rome. And so the cross meant one thing to the original hearers. It meant death. If you took up a cross, there was no chance of survival. It was a certain death. I think you're getting the point, right? That denying yourself and taking up your cross, that they are to be decisive and final actions. Once you've answered the call of Jesus, you come and you deny yourself and you take up a cross. As I've already quoted, Paul said this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's good news. Now we're still on verse 34. Look at the last two words of that verse where it says, follow 
me. See, we're supposed to take up our cross and deny self, but we're to do that in following Jesus because Jesus is the forerunner of self-denial and cross-bearing. That's why it's powerful when Jesus says, come after me, follow me, because Jesus is saying to us, this is what I've done. I did this for you. I am your perfect example. And so Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't ask us to do things that he himself is unwilling to do. Jesus denied himself. Jesus took up a cross. And his death accomplished something that our deaths and self-denial never will. His death and self-denial obviously paid for the sins of the world and, and, and rescued us from being enemies of God. Our death to self, our crosses, they don't pay for anything. However, they most certainly connect us to his death and to his self-denial. Amen? Amen. These are somber and serious words, aren't they? But they're good words. And they're coming from a loving Savior that if you know who they're coming from and you surrender to these words, it's full joy. Now, if you've done this, if you've denied yourself and you've taken up your cross, I believe that you will know it. No one, <laughs> no one ever wondered if they were crucified or not. Rob, what did you just say to me earlier? Crucifixion is one form of death you can never inflict upon yourself. God has to do that work. He allows us to die with him. You don't come away from a cross with, black, with bad splinters. <laughs> you come away, you, you, you don't come away from a cross. Now, by that I mean, I think you're going to know it if you're following Jesus. Therefore, look at verse 35. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. So in the same way that I think that you will know if you're truly following Jesus, I also think that you'll know if you're not desiring Jesus. I think you'll know if you're not following him. Because there's only two options with Jesus. Die to self or live for self. Follow or don't follow. Believe or don't believe. Try to save your own life and lose it or lose your life and save it. I've heard people teach that there's these certain categories of people who have received Jesus as their Savior, but not as their Lord. Maybe you say that. I'm not passing any judgment on you. But listen, I, I, as I've read my Bible, I don't see that. Either you are a disciple of Jesus or you are not. I don't see this option in the Bible of, well, he's my savior, but not my Lord. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either his disciple and you've considered the cost and you've died with him, or you're still hanging on to your life and it's going to cost you your soul. Because there is no self-preserving middle ground in cross-bearing. It's complete death. It's full surrender. And so today, if you haven't done that, and you know you haven't done that, today is the day when you have to choose whom you will serve. God or self, try and save your own life or lose it and allow Jesus to save it. 
So what, what does Jesus mean when he says that there are those who are trying to save their own lives? Again, he's not saying anything about us enjoying basic life comforts. He's not condemning physical wellness. But what he is pointing out is that there are those who live in such a way that they do whatever they think seems right in their own eyes. You're happy to take care of yourself. You're happy to make up your own beliefs. Keeping God out at a, at a distance. Disregarding his commands. Picking and choosing what you want to believe. All so that you can be your own savior. And the person who saves his life is the person who receives everything to themselves with a thankless heart. And they actually believe that they are the ones that got themselves to where they are. And they actually believe that they're the ones that are going to keep themselves there. And no glory is given to God because you think that your life is your own life. Rather than realizing that you've been purchased at a price. And you know, preachers often tell stories of celebrities and CEOs that have accumulated all this wealth and and status and come up to this place where they realize the emptiness of it all. And you know, you can tell these stories and they make a point, but, but can't you just look into your own life and realize and see it to be true that self-promotion and worldly gain never are soul-satisfying? Never, ever is self-promotion, self-exaltation, self-preservation soul-satisfying. See, the reality is if you're trying to control your life, it's slipping away from you because you are not equipped to control your life. You were never meant to control your life. You were meant to be controlled by God. And if this is you, and again, I, I believe that you will know it, that you will know because your own soul testifies to it. Your own soul is telling you, mm, yeah, I'm trying to save myself. And the spirit of God is testifying to you right now that you've been living for yourself. And if you keep going that way, you're gonna lose everything. Jesus does not want us to go that way. That's why he went to the cross. The gospel, which is this, that Jesus, the son of God, came into the world to save sinners. And that includes all of humanity. You have to come to terms today with your inability to save yourself. You have to come, term, come to terms with the fact that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God saved sinners because Jesus bore in himself the penalty of sin, which was due to us. And because he was raised from the dead, sinners are now forgiven, and we are given the right to eternal life with God. And we are able, by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, to put off our old, sinful, and decaying lives and to put on new, righteous, and eternal lives. So lose it. Lose your life. Let your life slip from your hands because your life is slipping from your hands anyways. Regardless of how hard you cling to your life, you will lose it. I love what Jim Elliott a missionary who was martyred in Ecuador said, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So let your life go. Stop trying to control your own life and let Jesus be the one to control your life. Amen? Amen. We die with Jesus 
so that he can give us eternal life that starts when we come to believe in him. Eternal life begins at the moment you decide to follow him. And it gets better because of the guaranteed resurrection. So look at verse 35, second half, where it says, Whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. This portion here simply reminds me of how many people have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. Ten out of the twelve disciples that Jesus spoke these words to originally, according to church tradition, tells us that they were all martyred for their faith. I quoted Jim Elliott, who tried to take the gospels to the villages of Ecuador and was martyred brutally. But yet, even still, his family continued to bring the gospel to those people so that they were saved. I think about how people who come to Christ, and maybe we haven't experienced this kind of persecution or martyrdom in America, in Palos Verdes, in this day, and yet we have to come to terms and realize, well, what if it did? Would I be able to lose my life knowing that my life isn't just simply here? See, Jesus called to his disciples at another point and said, um, are you willing to leave mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, wives and husbands, and even children to follow me? That, that your love for them would look like hate in comparison to my, your love for me. So we realize that because of the seed of the gospel being spread and how it's been watered by the blood of martyrs, and how people have given their lives literally for the sake of gospel. You know how many people have lost their lives just so that we could have this book bound? So that we could read it? So that every person could read it? It's incredible. And so we should receive that with thankfulness. And then let's reread verse 35 where it says, Whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. As we end here this morning, I want you to consider what's been spoken about and realize that eternity is in the balance. You realize that, right? That right now what we've been talking about this morning has eternal ramifications. It has to do with people's eternal destinies. That a person, according to what they decide about Jesus, whether he is God or he is not, if you don't come to term with those words, realizing that Jesus is the one who created you, that he is the one that you have turned against in sin, he is the one who loved you enough and while you were still sinning, Christ died for you, the one who unites you in his resurrection if you are united with him in his death when you turn back to him. This is Jesus who's giving you this invitation today to follow him. And the question is, are you following him? Because verse 36 and 37 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in return of his soul? I know you guys understand profit and loss. I know that you guys understand because of business and finance and what you do just every day as you handle money and as you, as you invest and as you pay your mortgage and you do all that, you understand investments. Jesus is talking about the, the value here of, an eternal, of a soul for eternity. See, the reason why cruise ships and airplanes call their passengers souls is because they realize the preciousness of their cargo. You have a soul. And it's not visible, but it's more real than the skin and the bones that compose your body. 
And I don't know that I could string together so many words to convince you that you have a soul. I just hope that as I'm talking to you right now, you realize that you are not just a clump of cells, but that you realize that you have a soul. And I believe that the Spirit of God is in our midst right now, and He is speaking to some people saying, you have heard eternal things. You have heard Jesus speaking to you, telling you that you do have a soul and that it is of great value and that Jesus can save that soul. And he's telling you today that your life is more than your stuff. What if you gain the whole world? You have to ask yourself today what you're living for. What if you gain the whole world? Would your soul take your bank account, your home, your car, your timeshares, your investment portfolio, would your soul take that to heaven? Last time I checked, when somebody died, all of that stuff stayed. The clothes still hang in the closet when people die. Your life is not your stuff. Your life is so much more. And the most valuable thing about you is not your home or your car or even your sweet little growing family as precious as your children and as your family and, and, and everything that God has given you that you've received with thankfulness, all that you've been given, even your own life, your own physical breath in your lungs, your life is more than those things because you have a soul. And so what are you choosing? What are you living for? Have you exchanged your soul for things that will not last? Because God has said, I can save your soul. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. Your life is meant to be all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, that you are here in our midst, Lord, to draw people to yourself, that your spirit is moving and working and acting. Lord, to convict those who have heard truth today of their eternal need for salvation. God, I pray for those who have not yet to say, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, that today would be the day that they say, I want to follow you. That they would today deny self, take up their own cross, and follow after you. For those who have taken up the cross, those who have denied themselves, who have made that decisive action, Lord, I pray that it would be a continuous thing as well. Take up our cross daily, continuing to be reminded not only of the importance of, of our eternal security, but the importance of all of those around us who are perishing without God. I pray that today's message wouldn't so simply be a message for individuals, though it is. Each person individually has to make that decision. But God, I pray that this message would take this group here and multiply it. Because we would realize this is all such good news. 
Lord, thank you for saving us, Jesus. Thank you for dying on a cross because we could not do anything to save ourselves. Thank you for raising from the dead, uniting us in that resurrection so that this mortality could put on immortality. God, thank you, Jesus, that you are so good to us and you've loved us in this kind of way. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.